0: Well good morning. Happy Easter. For centuries they have been saying in in churches in different places, they've been saying it this way, Christ is risen. risen yeah, you say Christ is risen indeed. Let's do it again. Christ is risen. risen the question is, has he? We're here to affirm that we believe that he has, but is that belief just a blind faith, just a, a leap we need to take in order to try to live out this set of rules or philosophy or religion that we've bought into, or did it really happen? The question is important. Paul says if it didn't really happen, then the rest of the stuff doesn't matter. And so today I want to talk about the fact that it really happened. And if you're a person who isn't a person of Christian faith, I'd like you to think about the possibility that it really did And maybe if you're a Christian, you've never really stopped to think, did it really happen? Today, I want you to think about that and the implications. These folks are handing out buckets. It's not for your garbage. It is um, uh, for us to give back to God. And if you're a guest, it's not for you. Uh, We're just so glad you're here. This is just a part of our worship experience, how we say thank you to God for all of his goodness to us. So, um, yeah, so this question of the resurrection is a huge deal. A lot of people think that, that we believe that Christ is resurrected because we kind of have to if we're going to be Christians, or we just take it on blind faith. But I don't know if you know this or not, but there has been kind of a field of study already kind of developed in the, uh, uh, over time uh, in which people have spent their entire careers, both Christians and secular scholars, trying to identify if this account of Christ's resurrection is even, even true. And, uh, and so maybe you're here today and you think, well, you just kind of take it on faith. Well, yeah, there's some faith, but maybe not quite as much as you think. So I want to give you some kind of support for this idea of the resurrection or the reality, the histor- historical reality of the resurrection, because it makes a difference. So let me just start with, with a, a few thoughts. Um, one is that everybody agreed the tomb was empty. There really was a person named Jesus. We have extra biblical sources that point to that. Uh, and he really did die on a cross. And he really Really was buried, and the tomb really was empty after the third day. Uh, not only did the disciples think that, uh, even the Jewish leaders who had him killed thought that. That's why they made up the lie that his body had been stolen, just to cover uh, the, the reality of the tomb was empty. So something something happened. So what did happen? And we and we think about this. So here's uh, some of the kind of common kind of pushbacks, and it makes sense because we've never really experience the resurrection ourselves, And so we kind of have a hard time believing in it. And so some of the pushback, some of the thoughts you may have and others have had is, well, you know, this kind of was just legend. It didn't really happen. You know, it just kind of got built up over time and the disciples kind of, well, the problem with that is that scholars tell us that for something to become legendary in the sense that it's exaggerated beyond the truth, it takes at least two generations. So the resurrection probably happened around 30 AD and the, the accounts that we find in Scripture were written before 60 AD, and the Jews had an incredible uh, practice of oral tradition. They would be much better at it than the average person in this room probably because that's how they learned the Torah. And if you ask me what happened 30 years ago, I can probably tell you. I mean, it's not that long ago for some of us, for some of you can't even imagine, but for some of us, I, I can still remember it 30 years ago, and certainly a resurrection from the dead would not be something I would either forget or make up during that time. As a matter of fact, Paul says that you should go ask the witnesses. If you don't believe the resurrection, go ask the witnesses, many of whom are still alive. He's saying, here's their names, go find them and ask them if the resurrection really happened. We find that these accounts written in the Gospels actually are probably eyewitness accounts. All kinds of reasons. A, they were written very early on when other witnesses would have been there. Um, They they could have been easily uh, refuted uh, by other people. Uh, they're little, are little things, even some inconsistencies in them, the way they each tell the story. If somebody were going to make up something, you'd get one story and you'd get it straight, right? But they're little inconsistencies. They're all telling it from their same perspective. They don't necessarily contradict each other, but they're just a little different. And there's even little, little things in there that, why are they in there? For example, we're going to read in the book of John in a moment, John's account of it, and John tells that he and Peter, when the women told them, and in this case Mary told, Mary Magdalene told them, they ran to the tomb, and John, who is probably honestly a teenager at this point, says he outran Peter. Now, why would he include that? Because he's a teenager. Now, I always pictured Peter as being bald and fat, so this just supports, I don't know, it just helps me imagine him. It is no indication in Scripture is that way, but he was certainly not very fast because John outran him. And all he not only says it; he says it twice. Now, if you were making up a story, developing a legend about some hero, you wouldn't include silly little things like that. Or, for example, when it says that the the burial clothing in the grave, uh, the headpiece was was folded and the rest in one place, and the rest is laying there in a heap in another place. Why would you tell that? That's not. It's not, it has no Old Testament reference. It's not pertinent to the story. It's just somebody telling what they saw. These were eyewitness accounts. Well, maybe it was you know a mass uh, you know, uh, hallucination. Well, the problem is that Jesus, over 500 people saw the risen Savior at different places, different times, some in groups, some individually. It doesn't really work that way. Well, they just all got together and got a conspiracy. That's what they did. They got a conspiracy because they, well... There's a couple of things. One is that conspiracies don't generally last very long. Uh, Chuck Colson, uh, the late Chuck Colson was, uh, founded Prison Fellowship, the reason he founded that because he was in prison, the reason he was in prison was something that, called Watergate. You can look it up in the history books if you're younger than me. Um, but we had a president, his name was Nixon, and uh, not one of our finest moments. And some of his guys did a break-in in the Watergate Hotel, and then they covered it up. And the conspiracy uh, became known because I think it was five or seven, I can't remember how many events there were. Colson says, the reason he believes in the Testament because the five brightest men he knew couldn't, bother, couldn't manage to keep a conspiracy for more, more than a few weeks. How could a bunch of peasants in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, 500 plus, keep a conspiracy? It just doesn't happen. As a matter of fact, it, it also doesn't really go along with who the disciples were, because before this, an interesting thing happened, before this, the disciples were these wimpy, kind of uh, wrong-headed uh, bunch of followers of Christ and, and who weren't very courageous. If you think about this, here's Jesus on trial, and if Jesus were to look around for some support from his friends, they'd either run away or uh, standing next to the fire denying that they even knew him. <laughs> They weren't the kind of band together afterwards and make up a lie (laughs) that they could stick to. They couldn't even stick around when he was on trial, much less become heroes afterwards. And yet, that's exactly what they did. They became heroes. As a matter of fact, they changed the world. Not figuratively, literally changed the world after the resurrection. They saw something. They saw something incredible. The transformation in the disciples leads us, if nothing else, to believe that they saw something something pretty miraculous. I want to suggest to you that it does take faith to believe in the resurrection, but not as much as you think. If these letters were written by eyewitnesses, they were written early on at a time where people could refute them, where people could come forward and say they're not true. If indeed it changed these kind of wimpy, wrong-headed disciples into men of faith. And by the way, if there was a lie, usually a lie benefits the liar, doesn't it? Oh, I didn't do that right it didn't benefit the disciples so much out of the disciples all of them died as martyrs except one and he was he was uh, put on an island <laughs> to die it didn't benefit them what was in it for them no they believed at the very least they had seen a resurrected savior and because of Jesus predictions that he would rise again i believe it too and if indeed for a moment you could open your mind to thinking that maybe, possibly, the resurrection is true. It could open some, some doors, and new ways of thinking for you. And so let me read this account with that in mind. It's found in John chapter 20. It starts in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, and the one Jesus loved, which is John, he doesn't want to say I'm the one Jesus loved," so he doesn't want to say his own name, because he's getting ready to brag that he's faster than Peter. Uh, the one Jesus loved and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and uh, we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Why did he say? I have, and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went in the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Again, a detail that doesn't need to be in there. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Now, this is an interesting thing. This is John talking about himself. He saw and believed what? What did he believe? Did he believe the tomb was empty? Did he believe that Jesus was God and had been resurrected from the dead? Something changed inside of John at this point, not yet for the rest of the disciples says they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. It goes on in verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and, the, and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked, woman, uh, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. So you can imagine a woman in mourning, eyes filled with tears, looking down, and just sees the figure of somebody there who she assumes is a gardener. Woman, he says, and by the way, woman isn't like rough. It's like a, hey, lady, kind of thing. Not, I mean, not quite that glib, but it was an appropriate thing, okay? Hey, lady. I'm probably not in the Greek. That might be the Doyle translation, but anyway... <laughs> He says, why are you crying? Who, is, who are you looking for? Who is it you're looking for? I think he was the gardener. She said, sir, you have, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Amazing thing happens when Jesus says her name, Mary. He says in the way that she all of a sudden looks up and sees who it is because of the way that familiar, wonderful way he says her name, The way that changed her life, if you look at her history, she had a significant change in her life because of Jesus, this person who now calls her name. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rebani, which means teacher. And then in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them all that he had said to her. This account is one of the four gospel accounts of, of the resurrection and what really happened. If the resurrection really happened, uh, then there's some things we need to understand. There's some things about Jesus that we need to realize. If the resurrection happened, I was with uh, some guys at breakfast on Friday. I meet with a group of guys almost every Friday. And I said, guys, what does Easter mean to you? And they said, proof. It's proof that Jesus was exactly who he said he was, that he did exactly what he said he came to do, and that he will do everything he promised. It's proof that he is who he said he is. He's got the power to do what he said he is. If he can overcome death, if God will raise him from the dead, then everything he said is true. Jesus is exactly who he said. Here's what he said. I'm just giving you some examples here. Let me just give you three real quickly. The first one, he's the liberator of the poor, the prisoners, the oppressed, the healer of the blind. Listen to what it says in Luke 4. gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He came to set people free. In John 10.10, he said he came to give us life abundantly, the most life, the best life that we could possibly have. He came to give it to us. And then the light of the world. In John 12:46, I have come into the world as a light so no one who believes in me will stay in the darkness. Whatever dark times and dark places, he can bring light to that. These are just some quick references to who he is. Point is that the resurrection happened, we can put our trust in Jesus. It also changes not only the way that we feel and interact uh, with Jesus. It changes the idea, our understanding of the world in which we live. If the resurrection happened, and that kind of divine power can be available, and the Bible says that resurrection power is available to us, if that is true, then the world is different than I thought it was. The world is a lot bigger than I thought it was. You see, we often think about the world in context of what we know of it, of our limited experience. I don't want to make fun of anybody who's who's young, I'm, I'm just jealous that you're young, But I always think it's interesting when I hear a teenager or a young adult saying how terrible and catastrophic the breakup of their relationship was and how life will never be okay again, and I want to say, in 15 years, you don't remember that girl's name, (laughs) but in their limited experience. You see, we oftentimes think about the world in our limited experience. Well, the resurrection couldn't happen because that just doesn't happen. Well, by the way, it's so interesting. Oftentimes we want to write off the ancients, those of Jesus' time, as ignorant people, as if they would believe a resurrection happened. They didn't believe a resurrection happened either. They had their own experience. They didn't believe that. Some of the Jews, a few of the Jews, and it was a very contentious point, a few of the Jews thought that someday, at the end of the world the people of God, the chosen people of God, would be resurrected, but all in mass, all together, and only one time. They had no thought that there was a possibility of an individual being resurrected. That's why you find Peter and John running to the tomb. They didn't run to the tomb going, we knew it, we knew it, we knew it. No, they were going, what? What? Res- res- what? You see, we want to look at things of God and things of eternity as if we have enough experience to fully know what's possible, and yet maybe there is more possible than we thought. Maybe the world is bigger than we thought. When I was single, I looked around and I couldn't imagine being married because there were so many girls in the world. <laughs> and then I fell in love with this skinny girl from Oklahoma. And I couldn't imagine not being married because I experienced incredible love. And that love was more than I ever anticipated. And then, then along came a little one who made messes and required a lot of attention. And all of a sudden what I thought wasn't possible that sharing this love I had with this woman could actually grow by sharing it with another human being was shocking to me. There was more than I thought. And then the second one come and, it came and I really actually liked the second one. And, <laughs> and my love grew and there was more love than I thought was possible. And And then years later, the first one got married, and now I have grandkids, and there is more love than I can even express to you. Maybe there is more going on in this world than our limited experience allows us to see. I just couldn't believe that much love was possible, but it is. See, the world might be bigger, and there might be more opportunities, more potential in this world than you ever dreamed. As a matter of fact, it's possible that there are even miracles in this world, Steve Brown, interesting author, he, he was a pastor. Matter of fact, he became a, a pastor, and then he became a Christian. Later. And they said, why did you become a pastor? He said, well, you know, I like to talk a lot, and those guys talk a lot. So. He became a Christian because he didn't even believe there was a God necessarily. He hoped there was, but he didn't really want there to be one, because if there was one, then maybe there was some meaning in life. But if there wasn't one, he, didn't, he wasn't responsible to anybody. And then he had, that second child came, beautiful little girl, and a few hours later, the doctor approached he and his wife and said, there's a problem, there's a serious problem, the blood is not flowing through her entire body, there's something wrong, she probably won't make it through the night, if she does, we'll probably have to do some amputations, it's not good. And so this pastor who didn't believe in God knew some Christians who actually did, and he didn't like them much because they kind of seemed to be a little bit superior and smug in their belief, but he approached them and he said, if there's a God I need his help, would you pray for my daughter? And they did, and they began to pray. The next morning, Steve Brown became a Christian when the doctor, same doctor, walked in and said, I did the tests last night, and I need to tell you, there's a miracle happened. Your daughter is fine. There's no surgery. There's no risk. She's going to be fine. And he knew that there was a God. It's possible. There's a God at work in this world that you've been trying to deny all along. Matter of fact, the fact that you're in this room (laughs) might be a miracle because some folks never thought you'd be here. Some of you, we checked the walls. There are no cracks. You're okay. It's good. The building's not falling down. But the reality is there may be a God at work who's trying to get your attention and say, there's more, there's more. And if you would just come to understand, believe in the resurrection and trust him, there might be a hope for your life that it has meaning, that it has purpose beyond what you ever imagined. You know, when you begin to understand the resurrection happened, you begin to believe the power of the resurrection is at work in the world. You begin to see things. I saw the funniest thing on Good Friday. So Good Friday, everybody's running around here. They're all busy because we got Good Friday service that night and, and all these services on the weekend. And so I was, I always wanted to take a break from my studying. And, and so I just went to lunch by myself because nobody would go. I even offered to buy. And uh, so I went to lunch by myself and I took my notepad and so I'm having lunch and, and, I'm, and I'm writing and it was just a just nice little restaurant down the way here, nothing fancy. And and so I've been writing the whole lunch and eating my lunch and writing and doing the and stuff, and I haven't really paid attention to what's going on around me, but during the time I was there, I was a little late for lunch, and by the time I was done, it was pretty much empty. There was just a couple other tables of people, and I was vaguely aware that there were some people behind me, but I hadn't even looked to who it was or anything, and, and I didn't even realize there was somebody next to me here, and, and then all of a sudden, I hear a voice. I hear pe- people getting up, and I'm not paying attention. I hear a voice say, oh, would you like a glass of wine, and, and, and I look around, and, and there's a woman standing there with a little bit of wine in a bottle, and now what's interesting is this restaurant doesn't even serve wine. I don't know. And she looked at me. She goes, you want a glass of wine? We have got some left. I'm like, no, no, thanks, no, thanks. And, and I just thought it was weird. But, you know, I'm, I'm turning back to my writing. And, and I, I hear her ask this other table, would you like a glass of wine? And this guy says, and this caught my attention, he says very loudly. So the whole restaurant I could hear because she was being loud because I think the other part of the wine she had drank. And... Uh, <laughs> And so he says very loudly, and he says, I don't drink that stuff. Now, I can't, I don't know if he said anymore or if I picked that up from the, because I wasn't really paying attention, but I don't drink that stuff anymore. That was the impression I got. I don't know if he said the anymore part. I know he said the, I don't drink that stuff anymore. And so she goes to the other tables, tries to give it. Nobody would take the wine. And, um, and after her group walks out, this guy says out loud, can you believe the devil tried to get me to drink wine on Good Friday? <laughs> and, and I look up, and honest to goodness, he's not talking to the people, he's talking to me. <laughs> I, nope, can't believe that. <laughs> if I understood the situation correctly, here's the guy who's experienced a miracle. He was once enslaved to something that he doesn't want anything to do with. And on Good Friday, he wasn't about to let go of the one who delivered him. You see, it changes our understanding of the world, and then it changes our understanding of us. Because you see, the greatest thing about the resurrection is not that I can be forgiven for all I've done wrong, and I've done a lot of wrong, and I need a lot of forgiveness, and that's a great thing. It's not even that I get a ticket into heaven... (laughs) And that's a pretty cool thing, too. It's that I get to walk with Jesus here and now. You see, it starts at Christmas. We, we talk about Emmanuel. That word Emmanuel means God with us. And when I was a kid, I always thought it referred to his time on the earth walking for those 33 years. Yeah, he was with us. That was great. But now we're on our own. No, he is with us now. The resurrection says that he is alive to this day and he walks with us. Remember the picture of the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve walked with God? The picture is us walking with Jesus. This idea of witness is the powerful, the most powerful part of Easter for me. It's that we can do life with him in conversation as we walk through witness. So Friday night I fell asleep. Uh, now, you understand, so I didn't ask my wife's permission to tell this, but I've told her to two services and I got to sleep in bed last night, so I'm going to tell it again. Friday night, I fell asleep. problem in my house is I, I get sleepy around eight. <laughs> Sad, I know. And uh, my wife gets sleepy around midnight. And, uh, and so usually when I go to sleep, she's reading or, or doing something, right? And besides that, we don't really cuddle because I flop around a lot when I sleep and I could hurt somebody. So uh, she stays on her side, I stay on mine, okay? And, but I fell asleep uh, Friday night and I, I prayed for us and then I fell asleep and I realized that her hand was just on my arm. And and I woke up a couple of hours later, and her hand was still on my arm, and it was just kind of a kind of a thing, you know. It was kind of cool, and I, I didn't want to move. I needed to roll over because I was starting to cramp up, but I, I, <laughs> I didn't I didn't, want, I didn't want to move because it was it was just. I mean, nothing happened. She was sound asleep. She was snoring. I mean, it was it was very feminine. <laughs> I mean, you know very feminine, petite, almost sexy, snore, almost. Um, But there was that moment of withness, just being there. Mother Teresa said to a reporter one time, Dan Rather, he said, now, when you pray, what do you say to God? And she said, oh, I don't say anything. I just listen So he kind of, okay, all right, well then when when God speaks to you, what does he say? She says, oh, he doesn't say anything, he just listens. The reporter, and she said, and if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. You see, the power of the resurrection is that we get to be with him. You see, the first one about trusting that the resurrection is true, it's called faith. The second one, believing that God is at work in the world. That's about hope. This last one is what he came to do. He came to provide us with love. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Because it's his love that changes our lives. It's his love that walks with us every day. It's his love that makes me a different kind of father. A different kind of husband. A different kind of grandfather. A different kind of person. It's his love as he walks with me every day, my prayer for you and for me, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, that you would understand that Easter happened because of love and that that love would cause you to believe and have faith and hope and walk in love. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you love me. I am not that lovable some days. I am rarely deserving of your love and yet it is your love that changes everything, Lord God. As you love me, Lord God, as you as you walk alongside me, as we have conversation and, and I just experience your presence, as I know that you care about how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking, but more importantly, you have a better plan for my life, for my day, for my relationships. As I walk with you, Lord God, you change the way I walk. You change who I am. You change what I aspire to and, and what I intend for. Lord God, you change everything. And so So today, Lord, if there's anyone here who realizes that they need a change, maybe they've never believed in you and believed in the resurrection, Lord, I ask that today they would come to a place where they would just maybe risk looking into it a little bit to see if it's as off the wall as they thought it was. It might actually be true. Lord, I pray that you give them the courage to look at that. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's feeling alone today or lonely. I pray that today you would know, you would let them know that you are with them, that you love them, and that you will accompany them on this life's journey, that you will empower them and you will encourage them. Lord God, you will give them hope. For all of us, let us be filled in this moment with faith, looking forward to what is next with hope and walking with you in love. In Jesus' name, amen.